following sermon is by Andy Lake, the senior pastor of Liberty Bible Church. This program, Grow in Liberty, is the preaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church in Vienna, Ohio. Liberty Bible Church places a priority on the Word of God over all else and has a desire to share truth with believers and non-believers alike. Our prayer is that as people tune in, they would come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Join us as we grow together through the Word of God. Man, that truth ought never us. He's the one that holds us. I'm thankful I don't have to hold myself. Open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Hebrews, chapter number 12. Many have speculated over the text at hand for many a year, over different ideas on what is being said, especially over this idea of witnesses being compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. And... I have been asked before if our loved ones watch down on us from heaven. And if you've been to a funeral, perhaps you too have heard someone say something to the effect that I know they're looking down on us from heaven. And I I want to be as kind as I can. While that is a a sweet sentiment, it's, it's not exactly true. You know, for someone to be watching down on us from heaven... Uh, look, if you were subject to have to watch everything that takes place on this earth, it would cease to be heaven. And I'm thankful that my family members and those who have gone on before are not subject to have to watch me fail day after day after day. But this passage gives to us something about faith that we have seen and we have been learning leading up to this moment. And now the writer introduces us to something else. Stand with me if you would, please, for the reading of God's Word as we give it respect because the Word of God is alive. Look with me, if you would, please, at verse number 1. Wherefore, Seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Father, thank You for sitting down. Thank You that our high priest is seated in the heavenlies. Thank You that we can trust this truth, that we know beyond the shadow of a doubt the one who saves us, provides for us, sustains us, and holds us. I pray, Father, that this morning we would see something about ourselves that needs changed. And we would see something about You so gloriously beautiful that would cause us to desire that change. It's in Your Son's name we pray these things. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. I remember at one point in time coming to this passage, and and uh, you know how you think you come across a truth only to find out you were wrong? Anybody else ever been there? Maybe you guys are better theologians than I am. 
but I've come across many a passage of Scripture, and I thought I knew what the passage was saying. I knew what was being taught, only to find out, nope, you wrong, son. And I understand that this idea of being surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses um, can kind of lead some people to believe what we talked about just a moment ago, how their loved ones are looking down. And and we we see what the writer is talking about with this race that is being run. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And so we get our, our analogies, and the analogies are beautiful. The analogies are wonderful. Don't misunderstand me, but you know this idea that we're running a race and there's people up in the grandstands and they're watching us to see how things are going. Maybe you turn to wave at mom. Hi, mom. You know, and this is kind of the mental picture that oftentimes is drawn as a result of this passage. But I, I want it to be very clear that that's not who is occupying, so to speak, the grandstand. Now, for years, I kind of came to this conclusion that what's being talked about are those people in in, in chapter 11 that's spoken about, this hall of faith, that those who are witnessing our race are those who have uh, gone before as in Old Testament saints, and they're watching, and they're seeing how we're doing. But again, my friend, that's not what is being said. The writer of Hebrews gives the analogy of an athlete running a race, and he does so with a couple aspects of it in mind. And I want us to, to catch what's going on, because if you're, if you're familiar with what's taking place right now with the Winter Olympics, then maybe you get it into your mind, this understanding of representing in an athletic comp- uh, competition of some sort. But there's two different aspects of this. First... There's the athletic aspect of running a race. And this idea, this athletic aspect of perseverance and, and preparation. I was watching a movie with the kids the other day and this young man was running a race and he was, uh, he, he was at the very end of the pack. I mean, he was dead last. And one of his teammates says, I just hope he's not on the cart. You know, <laughs> I hope he didn't stop. And he comes trudging through while everybody else has already gone through the finish line. He's the last one and he comes through and his coach said, you finished. We understand the athletic portion of this as far as uh, uh, the perseverance, the preparation that goes into play. Somebody doesn't wake up one morning and decide, I am going to go run in the Olympics. And that day, show up to run in the Olympics. Doesn't work that way. It takes years of preparation, training. You gotta get up those early mornings. You gotta get up and go running while the, while the, you're seeing your breath. The fog is just, is thick and nobody else has even gotten up yet. You gotta put in those hours and hours and hours of preparation. Nobody just wakes up one morning and decides they're gonna be part of it with no work. It's kind of like the old adage, you know, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? Practice, right? Practice. And so you've got that aspect of this uh, running of the race. The second aspect is that of the citizenship that's involved. Now, this is where uh, Olympics really kind of uh, uh, play a, uh, a role in this because what what we forget is that the Olympics kind of started off back here in the, in the Greco-Roman days, and you had the people running, and they were the Romans running for Rome, and they were the Grecians running for Greece. And so you had these, uh, these individuals who were doing everything that they could, not only so that they could win, but to bring pride home. I can remember many times sitting and watching the Olympic Games with my parents as a kid, and we would watch as these these athletes would come in, and they were there. They were there's the Americans. There they are, and you would get this sense of pride. That's my runner. That's my swimmer. That's my gymnast. That's my Olympian. There would be a sense of pride when you would see that flag raised above the first place stand, right? Some of them today don't even want to represent anybody. They just there for themselves. That's a whole different ball game. We'll preach that one another day. 
But you have this idea, the Romans, the Grecians, they were doing this so that it was a, it was a sense of patriotism to them. They were representing their nation. It was more than just about them. It was about who they represented. Now, this encouragement that could be given to your kindred, this encouragement that could be given to your home, this uh, this running of the race, this athletic preparation, this is where we want to kind of get our minds on the race portion of it. And I, I guess if I had to put a question out there, it would be this. Have you ever wondered in your mind, how is it that some people seem to have it all together while I continue to struggle in my walk. Am I the only one that's ever thought that? <laughs> Am I the only one that's ever gone, man, that guy's got it all together. I'm a hot mess. I mean, on my good days, that's how I feel. That's when I'm, I'm real spiritual, I'm still a hot mess. Well, I, can, I can see that woman, or I can see that man. Man, the way they live there, my goodness, they seem to have it all together. Well, this is kind of where I wanted to start things. Because this idea of running a race, I think many times we look and go, well, that's for the spiritually elite. Look, let's just be honest. You ain't going to see me at the Olympic tryouts anytime soon. All right? Let me suck that back in for a minute. It's, it's, it's not going to happen. So I think well, at the Olympics, that's for those kind of people. I think sometimes we look at the Christian life, the race that we run, as for only the spiritually elite, and that must be for them, and I'm, I'm such a hot mess, this isn't for me. Wrong. Wrong. If you are born again by the Spirit of God, you're in a race. There's no consolation. <laughs> well, I got started in it, only made it halfway through the first lap, and I just decided to kind of back off and let the other people, you know, let the more spiritual ones keep running. No, my friend, doesn't work that way. You're in a race. The question really comes down to how well are you running? Are you enduring? Are you persevering? Or are you impatient in the whole thing, not willing to move forward? Let's look at a few things with this. This first aspect we see in verse number one, wherefore seeing we are also, uh, we also are, compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, surrounded by testimony. It's what's really being said here. I, let, let's un, let's understand a little bit about what it is that's that's being talked about. We want to look at it in a little bit more of a judicial sense. These aren't people in the grandstand. So let's get it let's get it out of our mind for a minute that we're in a race and your mom and dad are up in the grandstand sitting next to uh, Abraham and Elijah. That ain't happening, okay? Let's just stop there for a minute. It's not a grandstand type of a situation. Put yourself in a courtroom now. Because the word that is used here is actually a judicial term. It's the term marturion. Now, an interesting thing about marturion is that marturion is also where we get marturos, or our English word, martyr. Martyr. Well, I thought a martyr was someone who died for what they believed. That is correct. But while they were dying for what they believed, they were giving evidence to what they believed. And that's where they get the term martyr. They were set, not just saying this is what I believe, they were showing and they were giving evidence, they were testifying to what they believe by being willing to lay their life down as a result of it. And so the word that we see here for witness is this same idea of one who gives evidence or one who testifies on behalf of. So these witnesses are not spectators. Rather, they are those who give judicial testimony or judicial evidence. They're in a court of law, so to speak. And let's say you are on the defense 
And the prosecuting attorney brings uh, a little bit of evidence. And may, let's, let's take it to this, uh, uh, this type of an example. Let's say you're uh, on, on trial for committing a crime. And the, the prosecuting attorney, uh, uh, he's got his plan set. The defense attorney has his plan set. And the defense attorney working for you, he's like, okay, we're going to go at uh, the time. And we're going to try to argue that it was not possible for you because of the timing that this crime took place. And the prosecuting attorney gets up and he offers three or four eyewitnesses to put you at that exact place at that exact moment of time, right down to the second. As a matter of fact, someone even took a picture that was time stamped. And your defense attorney goes, well, plan B. Getting a little nervous, aren't you? This guy's not going to get me off. So he says, all right, next is motive. There's there's nothing that would have given you the reason to do this. And then the prosecuting attorney gets up and he offers five different witnesses that explain how, why it is that you had the perfect motive, you had the perfect desire, you couldn't stand this individual, whatever it was. And your defense attorney looks at you and goes, well, that defense is out the window. Plan C. You see, this is the idea that's coming at it. The, these, this cloud of witnesses, basically what it's saying is you are surrounded, that you are compassed about, you are completely engulfed, completely surrounded by overwhelming evidence. That's what this being surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses is. It's not people on the grandstands watching me. Hey, Mom, I'm going to make you proud. Hey, Abraham, <laughs> watch this That's not what we're doing. You are surrounded by testimony, evidence to give you a reason for running the race. If if you were a runner in a race, and let's say you were getting ready and someone came up to you and you were racing against five different people and someone comes up to you and says, uh, Just so you know, runner number one sprained his ankle on the way in here. Runner number two ate three pizzas last night. Runner number three just broke up with his girlfriend. Runner number four, uh, well, I hate to tell you this, but he's got the COVID. Runner number five really doesn't want to be here. You just heard about your uh, five competitors. How you feel about the race now? <laughs> in the bag, buddy. <laughs> it's in the bag. You step up to that line now with confidence. You get your feet on those blocks and you're ready to start, and you're just looking at the guy with the gun going, buddy, let it fly. You're just going to see a streak. That gun goes off, and you have the utmost confidence, and you take off running, and you make it to the finish line. Looking back, seeing nothing but dust and a few people in your peripheral. That's what we have right here with Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. The race, my friend, has already been won. We have everything we need. It's up to you to get to the finish line. It's already been done for you. Everything has been taken care of. And you have evidence, overwhelming evidence, that everything that we can do or everything that we can put our, our trust in, every, everything that we can, we can count on, it's all been taken care of. This idea... Let, let's look at it this way. Well, well, what if I'm too bad of a person to live the Christian life? Um, well, look at chapter 11 with me. Let's look at some of this evidence. Look at chapter number 11, verse, uh, look at verse 31. Chapter 11, verse 31. For uh, by faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah and David. Anybody in here uh, steal another man's wife and have him killed? 
Well, what if I'm too bad? I'm too bad of a guy to be able to run the race. I'm too bad of a guy to be a Christian. Stop for a minute. If God's able to use them in this race, He can use you and me too. So that that evidence kind of wipes that defense out. Well, maybe the, maybe the question, well, what if I backslide? Um, do we need to talk about David a little bit longer? What about Samson? Holy cow, there's one. He's doing good, he's down in the valley. He's doing good, he's down in the valley. He's doing good, he's down in the valley. I don't make any roller coaster enthusiast want to throw up. He's up on the mountaintop. He just carried Hebron's gates, or he carried Gaza's gates all the way up Mount Hebron. <laughs> uh, uh, you know? And then the very next verse, and he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek by the name of Delilah. Mountaintop plummets. What if I backslide? God can still use you. That doesn't disqualify you from this race. Well, are you sure God will help? Have you read chapter 11? Duh. Look, can, can God deliver me? Look at verse 33. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. <laughs> Here's Daniel. Daniel's told, you're not allowed to pray. Well, if I pray, I might get thrown in jail. If I pray, I'm going to go to, the, I'm, I'm going to get thrown to the lion's den. If I pray, oh, well, I wonder if God will help me. Yep. Duh. Well, is it possible to endure such hardships? Look at verse 35, all the way to the conclusion. Women receive their dead, others are tortured, so forth and so on. Well, is spiritual or financial wealth better? There we go. That's a good one, right? What about Moses? Esteem the riches of God greater than the treasures of Egypt. You see, all of our arguments are null and void in the face of Jesus Christ. The question really comes to this. Can I trust God? Well... Seeing as how we are so compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, yes. That's what these witnesses testify to. And so we too often focus, though, on the individual sins that plague us, but what really causes me uh, to sin is one specific sin that is mentioned right here. It's the sin of unbelief. Notice it in verse number 1. It says that we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. The word the, the definite article, is in there. The. Now, so often we take this passage and we try to say, well, it's talking about a besetting sin and, and your besetting sin is different than her besetting sin and his besetting sin is different than, than his, the, this other guy's besetting And we go, everybody's got their own besetting sin. Well, understand something. I, I, I get it and I understand the besetting sin idea. And, you know, you may struggle with something that I don't struggle with and I may struggle with something you don't struggle with. But what's talked about right here is the sin that does beset us. And in the context of what's being talked about through chapter 11 everything, is the sin of unbelief. And so while we may think, well, it doesn't talk about a specific, yes, it does talk about a specific sin, unbelief. Well, why do I continue to fail in this area? Why do I continue to slip up? This is what really, no, 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 no. Let me, let, you, you know why I keep slipping up in this area? It's because I don't believe it when God says, I have given you victory over that. I continue to, to fail and continue to fall short and continue to, uh, to sin in this area of my life because I haven't believed it when he says, I have put everything in you that you need for life and godliness. I have given it all to you. I say, I don't believe that. This sin is too hard for me. This, this, no. What causes me to fall on this sin is the sin of unbelief. I don't take God at his word. Well, it's fine, but I just don't, I don't, God can forgive me, but I can't forgive myself. 
Well, apparently you don't believe it when the Bible lets us know that God's greater than you. Unbelief. If God's allowed to forgive you, who are we to hold forgiveness back? And so we need to understand this idea. There seems to be a lot that are zeroed in on this one portion here of the sin, and we, we, we get so focused on laying aside the sin, that sin, that one thing that you struggle with. No, no, no. The one thing you and I struggle with, and you and I both struggle with, is the sin of unbelief. But that is an and. <laughs> that is the second thing. The first thing that's mentioned here, though, are the weights. The weights that that uh, let us lay aside every weight. So the writer does not, uh, he doesn't really mix, uh, mix words with anything. He just really comes out and says, anything that is going to slow you down. I don't know if you've ever watched an athlete. Runners will run with weighted vests. Or maybe you're watching baseball. And the batter walks up, and he's got that donut, that little ring on his baseball bat, right? And he's swinging that bat, and he's swinging that bat. But when he gets up to actually bat, what's he do? Thunk, drops that ring off there, drops that weight off there, walks up. Now he's ready to bat. Why? Because he removed the weight. You know, an Olympic runner... He's taken off and he's running day after day with this weighted vest. He's got one of those breathing things to, to restrict it, to so build his lung capacity up. And he's running and he's running and he's running and he's running for all his might. And he's running as if he's in a race. But then when he gets up to race day, what's he do? Have you ever picked up runner shoes? It's like picking up air. It's interesting, you watch runners, they'll practice around the track, but when it comes time for the actual race, they'll take their shoes off that they were practicing in and they'll put on lighter ones. They may weigh a half an ounce lighter, but anything that will slow them down, they get rid of it. Anything that will prevent them from making it to the finish line and burst chest first through that tape. They shed it. Now, I want you to notice a couple things about this. First, not all weights are bad things. Okay? Not all weights are bad. Some weights are not bad. They just slow us down. Other weights are experiences meant to make us stronger. So you think back to the victories that you have won. Those victories that you have won are victories that are, are, are meant to make you stronger, to propel you closer to Christ. And yes, I have been victorious in this area of my life. I can be victorious in the next area of my life. I have seen victory over here. I can see victory over there. That's what it's meant to do. But so often, what we do is we grab hold of that one victory that we had over here, and we hold it, and we go, I've been victorious. Look at my victory. I've been victorious. Look at my victory. I know I'm not doing everything that I'm supposed to do, but I'm not doing this one thing anymore. And we hold on to that victory. And that is slowing us down because we're so focused on the one thing that we were victorious in that the 15 other things ahead of us, we're not moving forward anymore. Sometimes these weights are good things. Maybe it was a failure. And God says, I have forgiven that failure. But we are so busy holding on to that failure. I'd like to move forward, but I've got this one thing, and I've got this thing. It's just, it's haunting me. It's haunting my past. It's haunting everything about me, and I can't let it go. And we allow those failures to keep us from moving forward. That's a weight. There are weights that are 
good things. I've got, I've got my, my friends and, and I love my friends and my friends love me and we take good care of them. And, but, but they don't like the fact that I like to go to church. They would rather me go out with them. But you know what I try to do? I try to make everybody happy. So I go to church on the first and the third and every other fifth Sunday that comes along. And then I go out and hang out with them on the second and the fourth Sunday. Maybe those friends are holding you back. Well, they're not bad people, preacher. Didn't say they were bad people. Maybe they're holding you back. Maybe it's a family member. My spouse, my children, my parents, my in-laws. Well, if it's your in-laws. Next. There's a lot of good stuff that might be holding you back from pursuing a right walk with Him. Maybe that job is keeping you from moving forward. Well, I'd, 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 be, I'd be a lot closer to the Lord if I was able to fill in the blank. But my job is preventing me from Maybe it's time to lay that weight aside. Yeah, but pastor, you don't understand. If I don't have that job, then (laughs) we don't eat. And the sin of unbelief, where he promises never to leave you nor forsake you. He promised to take care of you. You put him first, seek him and his righteousness, and these other things will be added to you. We're too busy seeking the other things that be added to you. We don't want to seek him first. Well, pastor, if I, if I, if I stand up to my spouse, if I stand up to my kids, if I stand up to my parents, if I stand up to them for the things that are right, they're not going to like me anymore. What about the man that sticks closer than a brother? Is he not good enough? I guess having Christ as our treasure Maybe God was wrong. And I don't really believe that Jesus is better than my kids, my wife, my friends, my neighbors, my job, my money. See, that's why they couple them together. Let's lay aside the weight. And in case you're wanting to hold on to this weight, let me remind you, Jesus is faithful. Jesus is, he he doesn't leave you. He doesn't forsake you. He'll enable you to do that difficult thing of saying no to little Johnny or little Susie. He'll say, he'll help you with that. But in case you're still going to hold on and you don't believe, let's lay that unbelief, that sin to the side. That's what he's, that's why he's putting them together. Beautiful the way this con- this comes together in context. You see, some of these weights, listen, I love my wife. I don't make any secret of that. I adore my wife. But the moment she comes between me and my Savior, step aside, Susie. I'm pursuing him. I love my kids. Love them. But if my children come between me and my walk with Christ, they need to move aside. That one people don't like to hear. But God wouldn't have given me my children to tell them to step to the side. Maybe the only thing that's going to bring them to Christ is you telling them to step aside. And by me not having them step to the side and pursue Christ, they're looking at me going, see, I knew I was better than that Jesus character. See, I knew you really didn't believe what you claimed to believe. You say Jesus is great. You say you love him, but you love me more. Therefore, I am your God. And I could be keeping my child from Christ because I won't lay that weight aside 
and my sin of unbelief. Do you believe God is able to take care of them better than you can? Then set it aside. That's a difficult one, isn't it? Easy to say. Tough to do. Easy to say. That job that's keeping you from a closer relationship with the Lord needs to be put to the side. Tougher to do when you're looking at your checkbook. It's easy to say if your kids are keeping you from a closer walk with Christ, you need to set them to the side and pursue Christ. It's tougher to do when you're looking at little Johnny or little Susie and those puppy dog eyes, right? 40 years old, still got puppy dog eyes. I'm here to tell you right now, my daddy quit looking at puppy dog eyes right here a long time ago. It's easy to say if your wife or your husband is keeping your walk with Christ from growing, you need to set them aside. Now this, I'm not, not, before somebody comes up to me and says, Preacher, you're advocating divorce. I never said that. I never said drive your kids over to 7-Eleven and pull up and say get out of the car and take off. Gee whiz. There's some people that they're he said to leave you. I didn't say leave him, I said set him aside. Because he's more important. In other words, quit acquiescing to the things that they want and the things that they feel and the things that they have to have. And follow him. And while you're running a race toward him, the prayer is that they will follow along. But she loves me and she wants me to be with her. If she wants to be with you that bad, she can follow you while you're running toward Christ. And if she doesn't want to, that's her decision or his decision, not yours. Enough on that, I'm probably going to get a lot of emails. This idea of these other weights, these past failures that are meant to build you up, or these past victories that are meant to encourage our trust. There are many Christians that are not progressing because they're still carrying the weight of the past. Well, Pastor, you don't understand what I did. You don't understand the victory that I had. It's difficult to lay them aside when we're looking at them and going, man, this failure was a huge failure. It's difficult to put that victory to the side and pursue another one while you're looking at that victory going, man, you got it. You don't understand how difficult that was. Let me, let me make this statement and then see if I can connect it all. The problem with modern Christianity is that it is godless. There's more focus on us than there is on Him. That's the problem with modern Christianity. We sing the songs that you like. We dress the way you like to dress. Matter of fact, we only preach for five minutes and sing 85. I don't know. I don't know what promises are out there. There's a lot more focus on me. And you know why we don't see more people running with endurance and patiently pursuing Christ today? It's because the focus is on us rather than Him. Well, now let's go back to the weights and the sin. Do you know why it's so difficult to lay aside that weight of that individual or to lay aside the weight of that victory or that failure? It's because you're looking unto it as opposed to looking unto him. 
I can't lay aside this failure and move on because my focus is on that failure. But the Bible tells me to look unto Jesus, not that failure. No matter how big that failure was, my friend, Christ is bigger. No matter how big that victory you think you won is, Christ is bigger. No matter how big of a difficulty you think it may be to set aside that loved one, to set aside that that job, to set aside those finances, Christ is bigger. Look unto him. Quit looking at it. We're focused on the wrong thing. Many do not endure because they're running in their own power and their own might. So, amid this overwhelming host of testimonies and such great evidence, I now have no excuse for not running the race confidently. This is what it's talking about. Don't don't miss this. Don't miss this. We can run with patience if we believe. Well, Pastor Andy, that 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 race that you're talking about, that that's not possible. No, because you don't believe. So it won't be possible for you. Yeah, but you've got to understand what I've done in my past. So apparently God can't forgive that one. So you're right. It's not possible for you. Well, you don't understand, Pastor. I, I, you know, it's the, this person in my life or this job or this situation over here, it's just too big to overcome. Then you're right. You'll never run an enduring race. Never. When we allow those things in our life, or those people in our life, to be bigger than God, we will not endure. We will not run patiently. So, how is it that I endure? Going back to the original question, how is it that some people seem to have it all together while I continue to struggle in my walk? The very question gives you the answer. You're looking at them. Every time I find myself saying, why is it that they seem to have it together? And man, I'm a hot mess. It's because I'm looking at them. I'm looking at me. I need to look to Him. How do I endure? Well, first and foremost, I keep my eyes on Jesus. We could stop right there and just go home. But I know (laughs) somebody's going to say, well, what does it mean to keep your eyes on Jesus? I'm glad you asked. First, understand that He forgives all sin. Even that one that you are having a difficult time letting go of. He'll forgive it. If you give it to Him. So since He forgives all sin... Run. Run the race. Not only that, but He gives to us His Holy Spirit to strengthen you. (laughs) He doesn't just forgive you and then send you on your merry way. He forgives you and indwells you by the Holy Spirit of God (laughs) to give you strength. Do you believe that? Then run. Run! Not only that, but He promises never to leave you, never to forsake you. 
And so guess what? The things that you did yesterday are forgiven. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell within you. And then guess what else? The things that you do tomorrow. Not going to make him vamoose. He says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. So run. And then this one gives me sleep at night. He knows all, he sees all, and provides all. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but he does. And because he knows what will happen tomorrow, I can take him at his word when he says to do this. I don't, I don't know if I'm going to have everything that I need to, to, to make it through tomorrow, but guess what? He has it all. There's a story of a man heard it on the radio the other day. It was, I don't remember. I was just flipping through. I was talking about uh, someone wanting to take everything he owned. He says, you can't take everything. He says, my dad owns it all. He says, I'm going to put you in a jail cell where you'll never be around anyone. He says, I've got a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He says, I'll take your life. <laughs> I died a long time ago. You can't take what's already been given away. Because he forgives all. Because of the Holy Spirit strengthening us. Because of the promises that He'll never leave us nor forsake us. Because of who He is, what He has, what He can do, what He has done. My friend, you and I have no excuse to not run. Look back with me, Wood, now to verse 1 and 2. Wherefore, Seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has set down at the right hand of the throne of God. You want to live the Christian life and run that race patiently and enduringly? Consider Jesus. Get your eyes off you for a moment. Get your eyes off of people sitting around you. Get your eyes off your spouse. Get your eyes off your kids. Get your eyes off your boss. Get your eyes off your checkbook. Get your eyes off your victories. Get your eyes off of your failures. And look to Him. The author, the start, the foundation, the pioneer, and the finisher, or the one who makes perfect our faith. Look to Him. Father, We come before you recognizing that we are but dust. And Lord, I, I know when we see ourselves, oftentimes we can get tractored in and focused on the wrong thing. But Father, we don't want to do that we want to see ourselves in a way that propels us to see You. Father, I know that there are people in this room today who are struggling to let go of a past failure. And because they can't get over that past failure, they're not able to run the enduring race. And it's holding them back 
I pray, Father, that you would help them to lay that weight aside. It's something preventing them from moving forward and they need to see you. So, Father, I ask that you would put your son at the very forefront of their mind. Put it right at the beginning. Put, put Jesus so much at the very center of their focus that they completely lose sight and give up and give over that failure. Father, there are some who are letting good things and, and good people and good places prevent them from running the race with patience. Maybe there's even people holding on to past victories. But they're not willing to move forward to new ones. Father, help us. Help us to draw close to You. Help us to lay aside every weight and to confess that sin of unbelief which keeps us from pursuit of Christ. We pray these things in Your Son's name. Amen. You have been listening to Andy Lake, Bible teacher with Grow in Liberty and pastor of Liberty Bible Church. We pray that you were challenged today and encourage you to share this message with your friends and family. If you were motivated in some way to grow in your walk with Christ, please drop us a line and reference the title of today's message. You can access us online at growinliberty.org. Email us at together at growinliberty.org or send us a letter to Liberty Bible Church, 2111 Sodom Hutchings Road, Vienna, Ohio, 44473. If you would like to support Grow in Liberty financially, you may also do that at growinliberty.org. Thank you so much for joining us today.